Hey everyone, you're listening to the 107 podcast where we get together every fortnight to talk about technology, business and the humans in it. I'm your host Ivan Stegich. Today we're exploring our use of Slack in the second episode of the 107 Blueprint for Operation series. Our blueprint takes a number of things into account. How we store passwords, how we manage software releases and do versioning, what tool we use to track issues. A component that's a cornerstone for us, more so because we're distributed, is Slack. It's what we use to talk to each other, to solve problems, to literally meet around the water cooler. Joining me today, again, is Charlene Yashesky and Tess Flynn. So, Slack. We started using Slack in 2014, so we've been using this thing for four years. And I'm not sure what you guys used in other jobs, in other projects, but we used Google Chat before that, and it's, it really transformed the way we talk to each other. I've used FlowDoc in other companies before we switched to Slack. It's like as soon as Slack came on the scene, everybody abandoned FlowDoc. How about you, Tess? What did you use before 10.7? So when I was working at a big corporation somewhere around before 2014, we didn't even have a chat system. It was just email or phone calls. And then the company after that, it was Slack. And then this one was Slack too. <laughs> yeah, it's really facilitated the real-time communication aspect of our business especially uh, especially the fact that we're distributed and i think the organization of slack is really what makes the difference being able to create channels and so on it's very similar to irc but better i'm trying to remember what irc was like boy that's old school well i wouldn't necessarily say better but it certainly is easier, and that's probably one of the key advantages of it. So do you think that's what makes it awesome? It's easy? Well, it's a congruence of different technologies compared to IRC, which is basically a rather old-school chat system. In fact, a lot of people would call it the original chat system. It didn't have history unless if you were logged in, and that depended on your client and that how your client's configuration it didn't have search built in unless if you were doing it locally. It didn't have a lot of those built-in features that you are expecting. And as something that's 30, 40 years old, it has a n number of layers of craft on top of it and obscure commands and other weirdness that takes quite some time to figure out. And the key functionality of it is the same as the key functionality of Slack, except that Slack also wraps it in a much easier to handle UI. It kicks a lot of those older, weird, obscure commands and mode statuses and all this other stuff that people don't tend to care about. It builds history into it. It builds file previews into it, and it builds search into it. Yeah, search is a big thing, and I think the user-friendly nature of the system is another big thing. Um, it really made discussions accessible. And what do you think the biggest difference between Slack and Google Chat is? Because we, we thought we were doing just great with Google Chat when we were using it. It was real-time, right? Just like Slack is. 
we didn't know that it could be better. And so we kind of accepted it. So Hangouts still has a lot of a, a legacy modality around that. It was patterned after the last great wave of instant messaging clients like IRC, like ICQ, MSN, and Yahoo Messenger. It was patterned after that, but just built into a browser. Oh man, you just remind me, we used to use Yahoo Messenger for chatting. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I did some gigs where we were doing um, AOL. No, AOL Messenger is way old. What's, what's the other one? Oh, just uh, Apple. If we were all you know, in a design shop, everyone was on Apple. We would just use our personal uh, messenger iChat. Wasn't it called iChat before messages? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, you couldn't save anything. You just chat, but nothing was saved. That's what's so great about Slack is like, didn't we just talk about this last week? And then you can search for it. Mm -hmm. The history really makes a difference. The other thing that makes a difference, and I think this is one of the things that we should mention as a component of Blueprint, is the organization of the channels. Like how we've decided to organize channels, I think really makes a difference in how we operate. Let's back up a second though, and just talk about channels in specific though, because I worked at companies that are only using Slack in the most basic capacity, like just direct messages with people. And then it's like, as you get more sophisticated, then you have the channels, which is basically just sort of like chat rooms for topics, right? And you guys really use them in depth too. I mean, Yeah, let's talk about all the levels that you guys use them in. So maybe a definition of a channel. So a channel is like a group of chats that you can invite any number of people into. The group of chat messages is centered around whatever topic you like. And so the way we have 10.7 Slack organized is channels that are dedicated to projects and clients. If there's more than one project that we're working on in a, uh, for a client, we'll, we'll um, prefix the name of the channel with the abbreviation of the client name. And all of those channels always start with an underscore. So you can count on a channel being an underscore, meaning that it's centered around a project for a client. Then we have another group of channels, which are kind of the internal channels. Those don't start with an underscore. Those are just very simple names. And then the third group is our channels that are dedicated to external people that we work with. And so those external people would be typically clients. So we might have a project going on with a client and we will have an internal channel dedicated to that client where it's all internal stuff. And then we might have a, an external client um, channel that starts with T7 Care. So that's, um, that's the name of our support product, right? Our support and maintenance product. And that's the channel that everyone has to behave in. And that's the channel everybody <laughs> has to behave in. And typically, it's not exactly a huge change in our, in our behavior, but it, it's, more, it's more along the lines of being sensitive about the kind of information you're putting in the external channel, um, you know, maybe being careful about internal chatter that doesn't matter to the, you know, that might be the details of the project, but might not matter to the, you know, to the perception of the people that are in that channel f- from a client's point of view. 
And we have to make sure to mention uh, that it is very important to have a channel where people don't have to behave, which at 10.7 we call the random channel, which gets very weird on Fridays. Oh, I didn't realize that was a non-behavior <laughs> channel. I should use it like that. <laughs> yeah, so just kind of, uh, so those are kind of the three different ways we separate groups of channels. And they're very standard channels in terms of the internal stuff. So we have uh, a general channel that's mostly about very general things, a random channel that can be about anything. We have a downtime channel that integrates with kind of the monitoring that we have on client sites. We have a finance channel that talks about, you know, people that are responsible for payroll and for billing. They're typically in that channel. You guys have this awesome payroll bot that pings everybody in the week that we all get paid. Don't forget to put in your timesheets. I mean, how's that integrated? Or is that just something in Google? Or where did that, where does that come from? That was two hours of fun that I had putting together some sort of automation so that I wouldn't have to do the collection of timesheets myself. So actually, I think of that as the lazy bot. The payroll bot, typically, it's a calendar entry on Google Calendar. And the bot itself is an integration with Slack by a company called Zapier. There are hundreds of integrations on that on there for everything. It's everything. a really cool site to check out. Zapier does a wonderful job of allowing you to automate almost everything. So we have an account with Zapier and we've connected our Slack to it and our Google Calendar. Uh, and then I created a Google form that has the fields in it that are necessary to submit your time to be paid um, and also for PTO. So what the Zapier bot does is it checks the Google Calendar every day. And if it sees an entry that has payroll as a word in it or payroll reminder, it will look at the day that it's on and it knows the URL to the form and it knows what fields need to be filled out and it will then figure out what day it is, when payroll is, when the times are, of what the time is that you have to be reporting. And then it'll post to Slack a unique link that pre-fills those fields for you in Google Form. And it does that twice, and it also sends an email, because why not? That's our payroll bot. So it's, if you can use something to automate manual processes in your organization, why not? Like, why, why should I be doing in that and wasting, you know, time when I can automate it? And Slack, since everybody's in Slack, it makes perfect sense to put it there. Searchability of Slack is severely hampered if you use the free plan. If you don't upgrade to a certain plan, then you get a message saying, hey, by the way, um, we're only storing the last, you know, 10,000 messages and upgrade to a plan because then you can't search back. It only has like the most current ones. That's right. So to get the, the, all the features, kind of the full, the full Monty, you should pay for it. And I think it's worth it. So we talked about some channel naming strategies, right? We talked about the fact that it's got good searchability and that it has history. Why else is it important to us for, from a blueprint point of view, right? It's one of the components that help us get our work done. One of your values, and I know this because I'm writing about your values, is sharing information. And I have to say, like, I'm a freelancer, right? So I've worked at a lot of different companies with Slack. And you guys have the most discussion in Slack of any company that I've seen. I mean, you guys, 
like literally say, don't talk about something in private. Don't do it in a you know direct message conversation. Do it within Slack so we can all learn from each other. And I think that's really fantastic. Yeah, that's the philosophy. Why put it in a DM or in a private group when everybody could be using it? Kind of the idea is open by default and then add privacy as you need to. And I personally think that's just a good way to do it. I mean, I think we changed our employee contracts a few years ago because it made more sense to not worry about 10-7 proprietary intellectual property and when we could be opening it and when we could be talking about it. Why don't we just assume it's open? And if we need to close it or protect it in some way, then we can think about it. It's, does, it's actually easier. Does that mean you don't have NDAs? I think it does. <laughs> Wow. No, there's, I think there's a difference between an NDA and intellectual property that 10.7 owns. Yeah, so, what are you talking so about So when you then? sign a contract with us, you're signing something that says anything that's confidential within 10.7, you promise to keep confidential. If, 10, if I sign a contract with a client on behalf of 10.7 that says we won't disclose any of clients said proprietary information then because you signed a contract with 10.7, you're obliged and bound by that as well. That's different than if we create something internally, like a module for Drupal, and we decide that by default that that module is open and anyone can use it. That means that if Tess goes to DrupalCon or a camp, she doesn't have to ask me for permission to say, can I show this module we talked about or we built internally? I'd like to talk about it because it's interesting. She can just assume that by default, it's open. She can talk about it. No problem at all. Unless there's some requirement from a client that requires us to have that closed, it's not. And I think that's different than NDAs. That is nice because no matter what product you guys come up with, we can just talk about it. There's no asking, hey, is it okay to talk about this or write about this? And that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that is a whole other podcast. You know what we should talk about, though, is What's that? Uh, you know how dependent we are on Slack? And Slack went down the other day. And yes. they're great, you know, uh, what do they say? Rending of, of gnashing of teeth and the rending of flesh. Um, as to, you know, What are we going to do? Yes, it, it really, um, it kind of really brought to the surface how dependent we are um, on Slack to do our work. Uh, you know, we use other tools. We have issue trackers and email and, and a host of other tools, but we couldn't replace Slack very quickly. But Tess helped us, right? Tess, what'd you do? Well, it occurred to me that we all had a Gmail account, so we all had a Hangouts account. So I made a backup uh, group in Google Hangouts and added everyone to it, and that got us through the outage. And we had to send emails to each other. That was painful. It's like it took me minutes to get a reply from you, Yvonne, on something I had to ask you. (laughs) It was excruciating. Well, I found that Hangouts, the chat... The Google chat that Tess set up was a great idea as a backup, but I realized that it would be temporary. So I was okay with talking about everything in one location. I really, I really realized that I missed channels, that I missed being able to put a specific thought in a specific project or with a specific group of people. I also didn't feel like people were very responsive in Google chat. 
UI is not particularly conducive to that. It's part of its its older instant messaging heritage, really. It's really not cool anymore. Also. <laughs> <laughs> and they keep trying to come up with new copies of it when people when people I know. Don't want any it just of these work. things we just make hangouts better it's not that hard guys yeah it's not they could buy slack i suppose mm, i'm not sure if they would actually get around to doing that isn't that like microsoft buying github i mean they're they're never going to be cool and they keep trying and they're just not working <laughs> i think microsoft's cooler than it used to be as you mentioned earlier, the channels are actually one of the key advantages of Slack because having worked in a company which doesn't have an instant messaging system at all, everything just goes to email. So you turn into this email hoarder where you're surrounded by just bags and bags and of, of email that you have to go and search through locally. And if your laptop doesn't work, then you're in trouble. If you're yeah. lucky enough to be in an organization that uses a cloud-based email system like Office 365 or Google or for Google for Business or something like that, you do have better search functionality there to search through there and theoretically infinite storage capacity. Right. However, it doesn't really work as well as Slack, mostly because it's back and forth, so you have a whole bunch of additional stuff and cruft that gets affixed to it and it doesn't have the information simplicity that you get from slack in an organization which is heavily outlook dependent for example trying to find information in that is just a pain because you if you don't remember the thread and if you didn't delete it you have to search for it and then each one of those has these mandated uh, headers and footers, which make it so you have to scroll 50,000 feet in order to just read what's going on in the conversation. And email by its nature is a delayed messaging system, whereas something like Slack is very conversational. It is not passing a message from a human perspective. It's, it's participating in a conversation. So there's a lot less of that cruft that goes back and forth. But because Slack also stores everything and allows you to search everything, it also creates an auto-documenting knowledge repository. I remember when I first started at 10.7, I would actually search for messages older than my starting date to figure out what happened in order to mine past history because it's an effective tactic and it does it automatically. And it also allowed you to get to know the organization as well, I guess. That is another thing. I have had the experience that you can tell a lot about an organization's social and emotional health by how they treat Slack. And companies that delete the random channel, that's not a good sign. Companies that tend to do everything in direct messages instead of shared project central, client central, central channels have an innate amount of mistrust. I was working at a company and it was, it was a bunch of freelancers and it was a company where it, it was growing and changing and, and they had Slack. And it, it, at first it was, if you have a question, ask it in Slack so we can all learn together, which is great. But then they got taken over by some 
you know, different managers and it went in a different direction and suddenly nothing was happening in Slack anymore. And guess what I had to do? I had to send emails to various people going, how do I do this? What's going on here? And I know those questions had already been asked and answered by someone and they weren't being communicated. And it was a whole bunch of wasted time for everyone to reinvent the wheel every time they had a question. That sounds like the hive mind that we talked about on a previous podcast test. It is. I can't remember. I only had four hours of sleep last night. Oh, <laughs> but you can remember, well, the, is it the Borg? Yeah, okay. the Borg ha- have that kind of modality in Star Trek. But the Borg have no sense of humor. We're different than the Borg. <laughs> so, so basically you're saying that Slack is a version of a shared experience and a shared history and that we're simply evolving from that and that you can always go back to the history and do a search and see what the culture is. I mean, Tess was talking about this, right? You can tell, you can tell about the culture of the company. Uh, What were you saying? You were saying one, those who delete random, those who um, have their project talk, uh, their project discussions and direct messages. And I felt like there was another one you were going to mention. I can't remember. Maybe the third one was like having it all in the open. I felt maybe that's where you're going. Yeah. I mean, organizations that tend to have their employees get into the mindset that they self-silo is usually indicative of this is not a very good organization socially. It's got a lot of problems and not a lot of trust and the problem is that some people will see activity in Slack as you are not working. Yes. And this You're is one of the, and this is one of the big problems with Slack. There's kind of a cultural there's kind of a, a generational divide almost. Larger organizations that are much more traditionally managed, they don't know how to handle Slack. They don't know how to handle that amount of transparency in their organization. They don't realize that These conversations that would have been you walk over to somebody's cube and start talking are now going into this online repository that you can all read at the same time. And some people are like, why are you working? Get back to work. Because apparently to some people, working is bashing on a keyboard and looking like you're busy instead of actually being productive. Well, you hit the nail on the head about it being a cultural issue. And I would always, I would refer that to as a butts in seats company where they don't think that you're working unless you're sitting at your desk, not talking to anybody. And like, so 107 is a distributed company and that no one is in an office together. And it's just assumed that you're an adult and you're going to get your work done. That's right. And that is the company that Slack will work for. You're absolutely right, Tess. If it's a company that doesn't value that sort of, doesn't give you that sort of autonomy, then Slack's not going to help you. I think you're right about the butts and seats thing as well. Jeff Robbins has talked about this a whole lot, and you mentioned it a fair amount at the conference last year at YonderCon. It feels like the days where you know, the, the prototypical boss, just like an office space, walks out in, into the cubicle land and looks over uh, his very many employees and all of their heads are, you know, pointed down. They're all sitting down. They're all in cubes. That that equals work and that that equals getting paid and that that equals job satisfaction and you leave your job at, at, at the office and you go home. 
Sounds a bit it's, like Camazots from A Wrinkle in Time. <laughs> it's not like that though, right? I mean, maybe it's like that in some companies still, but I, I feel like Slack probably is not going to work there. Sitting down in a chair in cube land doesn't equal um, happiness and doesn't equal productivity. And like you said, I think that Slack is a tool that adults can use that works like a water cooler, works like a conversation about a project. It can be um, interactive and conversational, just like Tess described, where you're having a conversation and problem-solving something in real time. But I'd like to add to that. I think it can also be asynchronous, just like email. You can drop things in channels and switch Slack off and come back to see what the answer was right away. It's like, as you've called me an info bomber before, Yvonne, just because like, I'll have a thought and I like, I have to blurt it out or else I'm going to lose it. And if I sent you stuff in email, it might get buried in a bunch of other emails that I've probably sent to you, but it's like, I can just, if I have a biz dev idea, I could just go in the biz dev channel and put it, wouldn't it be cool if I did this? And you guys can read it at your leisure and consume it. And, and then, yeah. And then I can come back later and be like, did anybody like it? You know, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, the thing, one of the features of Slack that I've been using a lot lately, actually two of them, has been snooze. So I snooze all my um, Slack notifications for a couple hours a day. But the other one is the remind me functionality. I don't know if you, Tess, and Charlene have been using it, but ever since they uh, not just remind me to do something in the future, like, like a reminder, but... Ever since they added the ability to remind yourself about a particular message that you've maybe read, but you want to come back to because you don't have the time to do it right now. Ever since they added that, I've been using it religiously. So I might get a a personal direct message from someone, from you, Charlene, but I need to check it because it could be urgent, right? I might need to react to it right away. So I look at it and I read it and then I realize, oh, yeah, this is cool. I don't have the time to respond to it right now. I either long tap on it or I right click on it on the desktop and I say, remind me about this message tomorrow or in an hour or next week. And then I'm, I'm free to forget about it. And I trust that Slack will bring that back to my attention when I asked it to. That's been an invaluable feature that I've been using. Thank you for telling me about that. I didn't know that existed. Um, and can't you also remind other people, like, you know, um, if I wanted you to review a blog post that I'd written that I can remind you to do it later? Or is that? Yes, you can. I I have not used that very much, if any at all, because I feel like it's too personal to use, in my opinion. Like, I don't want to remind someone to do something. I feel like that's micromanaging in a way. And so if I do need to remind someone about it, my hack is to remind myself about it and then I'll bring it up with that person. But you can't, you can't do that as a group. It's innocuous in some cases, like in our attendance channel, I have a daily reminder about how to use um, the Slack status that we started embracing a lot more in the last few weeks. And I'm probably going to switch that off because it's a little annoying right now. I think people got it. We came up with new Slack um, attendance status. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Maybe that's actually something to talk about um, is the attendance channel. Let's maybe talk about it in the context of a distributed office, why that's really important for us to have the statuses. We actually started the attendance channel when we were first experimenting with being distributed, when we were still in the office. 
And it was kind of more of a heads up of like, I'm in the office now, or I went to get lunch, or I'm working from home today, but I'm here. So you can't see me, but I'm here. And then when we became fully distributed, it was a way of saying, hey, I started my work day. Hey, I'm taking lunch. Hey, I'm in a meeting. Oh, I'm checked out now. And then Slack added these status attributes to your profile and kind of gives you five things that Slack thinks you will be doing, like vacationing or commuting or in a meeting. Um, and then very recently, they allowed you the ability to change those five things. And as soon as they allowed that, um, that change, I kind of jumped on that and thought, oh, maybe we should do five things that are appropriate to us. And I, we had a discussion in the random channel about it. And we decided as a team that we would standardize on five things that seemed to be the most, the things that we were typing in the attendance channel the most which was, I'm here, I'm away, I'm out, I'm in a meeting, I'm on a break. And basically that covered all of the bases of work. So I'm here means I'm here, I'm working. I might not be available right now because I maybe have notifications snoozed, but I'm at my job. Away means I'm at lunch or I went for a walk or... I'm on vacation. Sorry, out means I'm on vacation. Like away is just temporarily unavailable. Temporarily out. Yes, that's right. Um, and then out means I'm on vacation or I'm out for the day. My status right now is in a meeting. And then the last one is on a break. And it's obviously the coffee cup. Because Every time you say on a break, I think of Ross on the show Friends. <laughs> Not that kind of break. <laughs> I know. You're on a break. I think we've kind of distilled it down. I'm still a little confused with how those five work with our attendance channel. So I personally still tell people in attendance what I'm doing when I change my status, but I kind of feel like I've been doing that less. Tess, do you, like, how, do you, how have you reconciled attendance with that status? I've tended to use the attendance channel to point out if I'm going to be away for an extended period of time, like if I need to take somebody to an appointment or if I have an appointment myself or if I have to run an errand for some odd reason. You know what? You're right. People are using the attendance channel for details on why they're away. And I think that's actually valuable because having the, the simple standardized statuses makes it a lot easier to identify what people are actually doing. And then you can just look at their name in the, in the sidebar to see what's going on, what their immediate status is. And then if you need more details on that, you can go to the attendance channel. Here's a question. Do you think that the distributed office would work without Slack or something like it? <laughs> not really um yeah it would be hard it would it be hard would be to feel connected to people I mean we could do our work and I've been I've been a remote person for probably about 10 years but it does make you feel a lot closer to people to be able to chat like this and to just sort of know what's happening with them yeah I find it kind of a, an essential cornerstone of having a distributed office is to have one of these real-time uh room-oriented auto recording and searchable chat mechanisms. I find that it really adds to the sense of company cohesiveness 
and it's an invaluable resource in of itself. I don't think I'd be able to do this without having Slack. I don't think we'd function as a team. I think we, I think it's easier for us to function as a team because we were in an office together. I think we're all old enough and mature enough in this industry that, yeah, this, this would not be possible without Slack. I also think there's one thing we're not talking about here in this podcast about real-time communication. And that's the medium we're using right now to record this podcast. I mean, I think Zoom and video conferencing amps up the intimacy of this Slack thing that we have, right? It's, uh, It's great trying to hash out a problem in a channel for a project for a particularly complex issue. But at some point, typing these things out is detrimental and it's like it is not going to resolve the issue and so i find being able to say hold on a second shouldn't we just zoom and let's have a video chat about this that actually helps things immensely so it feels like uh it feels like zoom is slack plus right that's a good way of putting it, but I do have to say that Zoom has removed one of the um, the benefits of working from home, and that's working in your pajamas with bed hair. <laughs> <laughs> I recently tried to attend a meeting at 10-7 from my bed and switched that's on my no camera no. by mistake. Well, it wasn't really by mistake. <laughs> I did switch it on on purpose because that's what you do. And I was told in no uncertain terms that I was not to attend work while in my bed. And apparently this was a, that is a, faux a policy that came up when I, in a stand-up that I don't attend that I was not aware of. And so apparently there are rules and regulations around when you can switch video on and, and maybe, yeah, maybe that's okay. So Slack is to 10.7 quite an important thing. Slack is great, but just like in a real office, you it is important to put in water cooler time. And there have been, you know, if I'm working with different freelance, uh, you know, working with different companies, it, it, I feel better if I have time to sit and look through the random channels and get into the off conversations and, you know, the lingo and stuff. And the, yeah, it's part of the feeling connected to the people you're working with. It's absolutely true. I think before we sign off, because uh, I do feel like we're kind of wrapping up the podcast here, I think we should talk about what we don't use uh, Slack for. Like, we've kind of talked about what we do use it for, but where? let's maybe talk about what we don't use it for. I wanted to get some clarification on that, too, because um, you've mentioned using it for, for conversations about issues, um, but... Then we've also talked about wanting to keep those issue discussions in JIRA, too, in our issue tracking uh, place. So w- which ones would you talk about in Slack and which ones would you, would you leave in JIRA? I have an answer, but I want to give Tess an opportunity to chime in before I, before I give my opinion. So you are in the field and you are repairing a tractor. The conversation between you and the mechanic as you're trying to get the tractor to work is Slack. The report you file after you've done the work is in Jira. Ah. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, that's it. exactly, exactly right. Tess, and all of your, all of your um, analogies have to do with mechanical vehicles. Do you realize that? 
cars. You do realize that this is an endemic problem with Americans. Like American tech education always seems to come back to vehicle analogies (laughs) all the time. I've gotten so much, so much guff from, from Europeans about this. It's wonderful. (laughs) What are their analogies about? Um, Drinking wine. Uh, no. Growing grapes, um, eating <laughs> hanging out in cafes. Uh, sometimes <laughs> transportation, coffee. sometimes cooking. Uh, Ooh, sometimes, cooking, yeah, sometimes I would love construction, that. Like uh, like building construction. Um, it depends on personal experience and cultural prerogatives. Um, but yeah, car, the the thing with Americans' car analogies is that it's a very car centric culture. It's very difficult to get all over the place. I know, Charlene, you're looking at me because you live in Portland. <laughs> but um, because, because it's so infused into Americanness, it just comes up as a very common, easy way to describe what's going on with things. And although this wasn't exactly a car analogy, it was still kind of a construction vehicle analogy And I think it's a really good one too. I mean, it, it, like you want to be able to document the things of the issue in the issue queue so that you can have it for posterity as an archive, as the report, as you said, but certainly the problem solving part is where you, you know, you do that either in your own head by yourself, figuring it out. Or when you have a problem, you do that in the project slack. And, and I guess if you, if you run into an issue of not being able to resolve it in Slack, you elevate it to, to um, Slack plus or video. I like yeah, that. Slack plus. We came, up, we came up with a rule about if a conversation goes back and forth uh, three or four times, you might as well consider, should we try doing this in a synchronous video messaging client? Oh, back and forth a few times in Jira. Is that what you yeah. mean? No, in, in, in Slack in general, oh, because Slack oh, is usually the most, uh, the most synchronous communication system that we use the most often. And Zoom does have the other thing is that, uh, that screen sharing, and that's often a critical means to debug problems that other, uh, other people are experiencing, is to oh. see what they're seeing. A picture is worth a thousand words and a video is worth a million. That's what we say. You know, I think we got through everything today. That's amazing. I think, I think we did. I think we really did. That's, that's been great. I, I think that brings us to the close of this episode of the 10.7 podcast, especially in the series of episodes for the 10.7 Blueprint for Operations. So thank you, Charlene, and thank you, Tess, for joining me. You've been listening to the 10.7 podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. And keep an eye out for the next episode of the Blueprint series. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening.